It's Suzette Speaks here, sitting in for Faraji Muhammad. Welcome back to the culture. I'm so grateful that we're going to have the next contributor join me. He is no stranger to the Black Star Network. You've seen him all over, Mr. Michael Imhotep. He's going to be uh, schooling me, really, because he is the expert when it comes to reparations. But there has been a movement going on in California, y'all. I'm not sure if you have uh, kept abreast of what has happened in San Francisco. Well, there are indications that local city leaders, after forming a board, a committee, actually, to uh, look into the value of what reparations could possibly be for what black residents there uh, have lost over time uh, due to injustices of the past, uh, would value. And they came up with, and I know the headline is that $5 million headline uh, per residents who qualify, but there were actually over 100 different recommendations by this uh, advisory board that will now go to the city's main board uh, of governance for consideration. Now, I am so uh, excited yet even surprised, if I'm being honest, that the movement for reparations has gotten this far, uh, so far that a city the size of San Francisco is thinking about uh, putting a major policy initiative like this forward. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and the devil, yes, is in the details. I want to welcome now, as a guest contributor today with me, Mr. Michael Imhotep. Welcome, sir. Hey, Suzette. How you doing today? It is a pleasure and privilege to be alongside you, brother, to be sitting oh, thank here. thank you, too. Thank you very much. And again, I am uh, not the most, um, what should I say, knowledgeable about what has been going on in the fight for reparations. So I'm grateful that you're here and you're going to be able to shed some light on what's going on in San Fran. So what do we have here? I know, again, preliminarily, this is, a, what should I say, a suggested <laughs> framework. No right. one's getting any money just yet. Uh, but tell us what you have seen as your initial reaction with what's going on in San Francisco over there on the West Coast. Okay, and just very quickly, I'm a historian. I don't claim to be an expert on reparations, okay. even though I know a lot about it. Okay, I, just I hear wanna... you talk about it all the time. That's why I call you. Oh yeah, well I'm a historian, and I study history, law, politics, and economics, but I don't claim to be an expert okay. on reparations. Okay, okay. But we'll what, what, what we have here is um, you you have a proposal of a one-time payment going to um, African Americans who are eligible, who would be eligible in the city of San Francisco, not for slavery, because San Francisco does not have a history of slavery, just as generally speaking, California does not have a history of slavery because California came into the union in 1850 as a free state, not a slave holding state. So this would be according to the article from CNN.com called San Francisco leaders show early support for $5 million reparation payments for eligible, eligible black residents. It says that uh, San Francisco's reparations advisory committee, which was created in 2020 to craft a plan to address institutional city sanctioned harm inflicted upon African-American communities. Okay. So th this would be a one-time payment of $5 million and it's not. Now you have some on the committee who support this. However, generally speaking, understanding the finances of San Francisco and San Francisco has a $728 million budget deficit over the next two years is unlikely that this will be actually be implemented. Okay. But you have, um, the California Reparations Task Force, which is at the state level, you also have a San Francisco Reparations Task Force as, as well. And uh, the $5 million were some of the more than 100 recommendations made by a city-appointed reparations committee tasked with the 
uh, question of how to uh, repair the damage of systemic racism, redlining, housing discrimination, things like this in the city of San Francisco. Okay, wonderful foundation late, my brother. Thank you for that. Uh, this is the CNN article we are uh, referencing, guys. You can go check it out on CNN.com. It's up there. San Francisco leaders show early support for $5 million, uh, reparations payments for eligible black residents. So my question to you, Mr. Imhotep, why is California like the standout? Is it just the progressive nature of politics there? I don't hear this coming out of other states, or maybe there are other similar uh, programs or considerations being made. Of course, we've heard, you know, uh, a couple of cities do things like maybe give housing down payments. Sure, uh, sure. That was Everson, okay. Illinois. So in let Illinois. me address that. Okay. Go let's ahead, go Everson, ahead, but I know you know the background. Everson. Go ahead. Yes. Let's, say, let's take Everstate, Illinois first, because the person who spearheaded that, her name was Robin Ruth Simmons. I interviewed her on the African History Network show for an hour, okay, mm -hmm. to break down what actually happened. Now, the state of Illinois abolished slavery in 1818. Evanston, Illinois, the city of Evanston, Illinois, wasn't founded until the 1840s. You had a lot of woke-ass people running around who didn't do research who said, oh, they should do reparations for slavery, things like this. Evanston does not have a history of slavery. So when you have a city, they're not going to do reparations to repair the damage of something that the city did not inflict. When you look at what San Francisco is doing or what they're proposing, they are saying specifically they are working to repair the damage that the city inflicted upon African-Americans. Not what the state did, not what the federal government did, because they don't have those type of resources. Evanston, Illinois is a city of approximately 60,000 people with a percentage of African-Americans at 16 percent and declining. They don't have a history of slavery, but they had a rampant history of housing discrimination and redlining. And there's still some African-Americans alive today who live in Evanston who were the victims of the housing discrimination and redlining. So this is what they this is what their uh, reparations program, the twenty five thousand dollar vouchers towards housing was uh, designed to remedy, not slavery. OK, so when we look at reparations on a city level and we have a reparations task force here in Detroit, I'm not on it, but I do know people on the reparations task force. They are looking at repairing the damage that the city did. You first have to understand history in your city and the damage that the city did to understand what to repair. California is very progressive because both the, the, the state, the state legislature is controlled by Democrats. It's the most populous uh, state in the country. And you have a Democratic governor and that came through voting. OK. Uh, the 500 page report that they released back June 1st, 2022 is the most comprehensive analysis of uh, African-Americans and what has happened to us since the Kerner Commission report came out in 1968. All right. So I encourage people to research what the California Reparations Task Force is doing, and they are going to uh, the proposals for reparations is going to be distributed if it passes the, the state assembly based upon lineage. OK, you'd have to be able to provide evidence that you are descended of a person of African descent who was here prior to 1900 or a person of or, or free African-American here who was in the U.S. prior to 1900. The reason why they have to do it based upon lineage and not based upon race is because the in the state of California, race based policies are illegal. It's illegal to have a policy only for African-Americans. And they, they, they want to make sure that if anything gets passed in the state legislature, it doesn't get overturned in court, which it will be because Republicans will file lawsuits and some brain damaged Negroes will also file lawsuits as well to block it. OK, now at the federal level, Title six of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Section 601, non-discrimination and fairly assisted programs. 
bans race-based policies. So if, if, if reparations happens at the federal level, most likely what California is doing will be the model because you it, it, race-based policies at the federal level are illegal as well, which is why if we're seeking a legal remedy to a historical problem, we must understand both law and history. Well said, brother. Okay, I'm following you. I'm reading the chat. Y'all come on through with your questions. I see uh, a chat member uh, is uh, going by Oil King. And in his opinion, he has stated that he does not believe housing vouchers, so to speak, to be reparations. Um, I think we need to define terms because you've laid out, you know, there is a school of thinking that it goes uh, back to, you know, the, the institution of slavery. There's a school of thinking that there was wrongs committed by law against uh, citizens of African descent and were sanctioned by a local municipality or the state itself or the federal government itself. And we can't get that, and I will talk to you that with, about that after the break, when it, when, why it hasn't gotten more traction in the federal uh, government. Sure. But nonetheless, so what we have is a, a hodgepodge of ideas, and I'm grateful for some of the comments. I'm going to bring them up after the break. Yeah. Uh, when it and comes I, I need to, to address that first comment. Yeah, go ahead and put up made. Oil King's comment. Thank you, Oil King, for being here, and I'm grateful for all my culture crew who are letting us know how they really feel. Uh, but this is what he wrote. He wrote, you know, why is this considered reparations? How do you respond to that, please, Michael? Well, reparations for what? The concept mm -hmm. of reparations means repaying the damage or something. That's why you first have to understand what it is you're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is why a lot of arguments dealing with reparations I don't get involved in because I'm listening to people and they don't understand history, law, politics, and economics. Evanston, Illinois has no history of slavery. So why is a city of 60,000 people going to pass a law to address something that didn't happen in the city and the city was not responsible for? The city was responsible for housing discrimination against black people. Therefore, the city is going to implement laws to repair the damage that they are responsible for. We have to understand what it is we're talking about before we can seek a remedy for it. Reparations, the root concept means to repair, to repair the harm, to make you whole again, to repair the damage of something that was done. You're trying to go in the left direction, but don't understand you should go in the right direction. Now, you need to repair the damage of a legacy of slavery and, and decades of Jim Crow. It's not just slavery. Sla uh, child slavery ended something like 157 years ago. Decades of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, voter suppression. What we're dealing with today is the culmination, the accumulative effect of all that ha what happened after chattel slavery ended when the U.S. Constitution, when the 13th Amendment was ratified December 6, 1865. You have to look at the collapse of the, uh, uh, of the, the end of Reconstruction, collapse of the Freedmen's Bank, understanding the redlining that was created by the federal government, understanding why you have African-American homes at a value of $48,000 less than comparable white homes, which, which is a cumulative effect of $156 billion less net worth for African-American homes than comparable white home. So that's dealing with a legacy that happens after slavery ends. So when we deal with repairing the damage of a history of slavery and, and all that happened after that, we have to change the laws and policies that were put in place that continue to inflict the harm today. Cash payments are not going to do that. Cash payments can be part of a comprehensive reparations problem, but anybody with any intelligence who understands the spending habits of African-Americans know damn well if we all got a million dollars a day, white people will have it all back by this time next week. And the mm -hmm. only thing you would have done is stimulate their economy, but the laws and policies that now distribute the wealth, power, and resources will still be in place, still inflict their harm, and you haven't repaired the damage. Well, we're doing work over here. Uh, Michael is, is, is really breaking it down. Let's put up Chris's, Chris Big. Uh, I see your comment there, brother, it says reparations really is the wrong word. Again, we're getting context now. 
mm-hmm. uh, to as far as damages go in terms of the law in the United States, consequential damages is one type of damages we would be eligible for under the law. Okay, I'm getting into the legalese here. And, <laughs> and, and personally, personally speaking, understanding white supremacy, I would take the term, I would take the name reparations off of it because anytime you say reparations, it automatically brings up resistance. Oh, I would talk more, I'm more understanding that most of the people who got to vote for these policies are white, especially at the federal level. Okay. I would talk about the actual policies and how it's going to help not just African-Americans, but help America in general, because anything that benefits African-Americans is going to help America in general. The, the executive order that President Joe Biden did for student loan forgiveness, that's going to, that's going to move 500,000 African-American families from a negative net worth to a positive net worth, but it will also benefit white people as well. It's going to really help a lot of African-Americans, okay, and discharge a, a, a little more than 25% of our student loan debt. Uh, is going to be discharged when you talk about African-Americans, but it's also going to help a lot of white people also. So what's good for African-Americans is also good for America. So when we when we present these remedies, when we present these policies, understanding that the majority of the people in the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate who have to vote for this are white, you also need to talk about how it's going to help them and their constituents as well, not just African-Americans, if you actually want to get something accomplished. I love it. We're put, peeling back the layers, y'all, but we got to take a quick break. I'm here on with Michael M. Holtep doing work, y'all. This is The Culture. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, welcome back to The Culture. This is Suzette Speaks sitting in for Faraji Muhammad. I'm here with my brother, Mr. Michael M. Holtep who is teaching y'all about what it is that's happening on the West Coast over in San Francisco. There has been a movement towards reparations for a certain qualifying black residents, and we're having a robust conversation here. I'm going to put up a few of your quotes. Let's bring back Michael Imhotep now. I see you in the chat, y'all. I see everybody, and I'm going to only be able to read a few. Uh, let's go to a quote I saw by Mimi. Mimi D726, the Culture Crew regular. Thank you for being here, sis. I see uh, she writes that if the government gave us real reparations, and now this is a, a contention I've seen brought up many times when this discussion comes forward, Michael, the cost, right? That would bankrupt this country. Are we cool with that? How do we address this when we are having the conversation, whether it be on the municipal level, right, or whether it be, you know, state, or even uh, next we'll talk about the federal levels, but what about the cost? How do we address that? Because I'm thinking five million possibly per resident who qualifies in San Francisco. Like you said, budgetarily, it doesn't even kind of complete. That ain't gonna happen. Don't right. don't so, don't look for your check in the mail if you that's have what people will that's say. Not so how do you respond to a, a comment like this? Well, first of all, what are you repairing the damage of? You first have to analyze what happened to African people and analyze uh the damage that was inflicted to then understand how to repair the damage. Okay. This is why you have to understand the, the laws and policies that were put in place, the voter suppression, the, the housing discrimination. And one of the main ways that people have accumulated homes and uh, have accumulated wealth in this country is through ownership of homes. One of the biggest programs to do that was the GI bill, 1945, 1946. And from about 1946 to 1970, $67 billion was invested into the GI Bill. This gave low interest loans to uh, veterans of World War II and 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 uh, who served in the military to get low interest loans to buy homes, start businesses, and to go to school, go to college. Okay, 
largely speaking, African-Americans were heavily discriminated against that, even though we served in World War II, even though we earned those benefits and our taxpayer dollars were paying for them. So when we talk about um, the cost of reparations, one, putting just giving a check don't solve that just giving the check does not repair the damage that was done. OK, and then you, you have people who say, well, our ancestors worked for free for X amount of, for 246 years, things like this. Yes, there were 262 skills, trades and crafts that our people had in this country from 1619 to 1865. Now, how do you enforce that? What law are that? Now, this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. I don't play games with people. When when you understand getting reparations, you have to be you have to have a legal foundation to be able to enforce what it is you say that you want. What law are you citing that slaves were supposed to be paid in the first place? Yes, slavery was morally wrong. I agree. Yes, it should not have happened. But when you study the laws of this country, when you study the U.S. Constitution, which is the first legal document that you should read, slavery was sanctioned by the U.S. Constitution. It was legal. So what law are you citing the slaves were supposed to be paid? This is why the, the legal arguments that we make for this have to be different than a lot of the, the arguments that have been made in the past. One of the legal arguments, and I've talked about it on this show, deals with enforcing the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, which is what one of my teachers, Dr. Claude Anderson, has been fighting, uh, fighting to enforce for years. And then uh, more recently, Attorney Demario Solomon Simmons, who, of, who is of Muscogee Creek ancestry, and who is a frequent uh, panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered as well, he's been fighting for that because that is an actual example of us getting some type of restitution or reparations from the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians who all owned African slaves. And then after the Civil War ended, they were forced by the federal government to allocate land to those Africans that they own and set them free and give them membership in those Native American tribes, give them all the rights and privileges of Native Americans. When you study Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we love to talk about Black Wall Street. I've studied the history of it, but we don't understand that Tulsa, Oklahoma was founded by Creek Indians around 1834. And when they went into Oklahoma, they took their African slaves with them. And a lot of the early African-American landowners in what will become Black Wall Street, which was that business district, which began at the intersection of Greenwood, Arch and Pine, a lot of those early African-Americans gain land from those black freedmen Indian treaties, which are still in effect today, but many of our ancestors were being pushed out of those treaties starting in 1941. That's, so I'm all for, I'm for what will ever work when it comes to repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery, Jim Crow segregation, and racism and redlining. To understand what will work, we need to understand the history of what has worked. And what has worked in this documented evidence of that are the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. Heck yeah, I, I'm going to jump right in here because I said just let him go because I know this is a, a passionate subject matter for you. I'm going to put up another, based on what you just said, sir, you're doing work, uh, quote from Jacqueline Botang, I think is how you pronounce it, because what you have just mentioned is that there are different aspects of what could be considered, and the term is probably imperfect, reparations. But Jacqueline brings up reparation can come in the form of housing, education, yes. health care, employment, and farming. Hello, somebody. Because, again, yes. black farmers have been through it. So we lost I millions of acres of land coming from being discriminated against from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I was going to say, harm upon us. USDA yes. has done, by law, some of the most heinous things and created the most damage and, and removed the most land 
right from people mm-hmm. uh from of black heritage so when it comes to the check because that's i think some people are very hung up on the dollar amount but there's other forms reparations can take would it be better or is it like like you said depending on what was lost in the first place as a remedy of what law was in effect in the first place but talk about the the various types of uh, reparations even here in the in this uh, uh, specific case in California in San Francisco are being considered now the headline gave you the five million per person right but there right. were other suggested um, remedies over over a hundred in fact so can you talk about what other even in you know the broader sense or directly related to the San Francisco proposal uh, forms of reparations that are being suggested various forms could be uh, free college tuition uh, uh, going a certain period of year without having to pay taxes. Uh, it could be allocation of land. Um, for, for instance, just generally speaking, um, when you study the Homestead Act in this country, the Homestead Act of 1862, it gave over uh, pro- uh, approximately 250, 260 million acres of land, largely to white people in this country. They had to uh, maintain the land for five years and they had to uh, pay the taxes on the land, okay? And then after five years, uh, the land was theirs, okay? Well, you have tens of thousands of families, white, largely white families today, that still have land in their families that was given uh, starting in 1862, but they gave away land for over, for over 100 years. They, get, they kept giving away land up until about 19, the 1970s or early 1980s, all right? Largely... African-Americans were locked out of this massive land giveaway. That's the Homestead Act of 1862. Okay. This isn't now this was legal. And, and this is an example of how we were being discriminated against. Then you have the Southern Homestead Act of 1866. that gave away about 45 million acres of land as well. So when we study the history here of massive land giveaways, then uh, when you talk about uh, housing, Housing is extremely important because that's one of the main ways that people create wealth in this country. And because of redlining, which was created by the U.S. federal government around 1937, and what redlining did was they they took a map and they drew uh, red lines around areas where African-Americans lived. And what happened was they made it either impossible to get homeowners insurance or insurance for businesses in those areas, or you had to pay a, a, a very high rate. Okay, and then we were discriminated against when it came to get low interest loans, like when you have the the um, the suburbs that are being built after World War Two. Okay, uh, you had white people who were able to get three percent down on low interest loans to get homes built out in the suburbs. African Americans were largely uh, locked out of being able to take advantage of those benefits we earn in our taxpayers' taxpayer dollars paid for. So we're locked in the inner city. Then the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 1956 drive 41,000 miles of U.S. Interstate Highways all across the country, drives, comes right through Detroit, right near where I live. I live where Black Bottom, uh, Black Bottom was right here in Detroit. It wipes out thousands of homes and businesses. This place is about a million people. The article that I posted here called Bulldozed and Bisected is an excellent analysis of, from NBC News that documents this, okay? Well, well, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that only 19 Republicans in the Senate and only 14 in the House voted for, that's going to start to repair that damage that the U.S. government did through the U.S. Interstate Highway Act, okay? Wiping out, wiping out homes, wiping out businesses. It's going to start repairing those, those, those neighborhoods where the expressways went right through. So housing 
is extremely important, especially now yeah. with the cost of housing increasing because during the two years of COVID, you they weren't building new homes. So you have a you have a crunch when it comes to housing stock. You you think I wouldn't want a house right now? Absolutely. That's one of really tell you the truth, that's one of the first things that we should be going after. Home ownership. We got to take a quick break, y'all. I am enjoying this conversation with Mr. Michael Imhotep. I see you guys in the chat. I'm going to read more of your comments, but we got to take a quick break. Much more of the culture talking reparations right after this. It's the culture. It's the culture right here on the Black Star Network. I'm Suzette Speaks to the for Faraji Muhammad with my brother, Mr. Michael Imhotep, talking about reparations and what's going on in California, specifically in San Francisco, a proposal that has gained some traction into helping to make black residents whole for past uh, wrongs by the city and others. Uh, we're talking to Michael M. Hotep. I'm going to read more of your comments. Keep them coming in the chat. If you're watching Team Replay, go ahead and leave your comment below, like, and share this video. So um, let's start with Karen. Karen Canera, I saw your comment, sis. Thank you again for being a part of the Culture Crew today. Uh, she said there there wasn't slavery in California, and I think you said that too, Michael. Right. Uh, there was and is racism. The return right. of Bruce's Beach, and mm -hmm. I love the Bruce Be Bruce's Beach example, uh, to the great-grandson uh, was an indication of, was the best example of reparations so far. He sold it back for $20 million. Do you want to make uh, any kind of comparison there? Well, when, when you uh, read the articles dealing with the uh, reparations task, California reparations task force, they t one of the things they talk about repairing the damage of is the theft of land, like with Bruce's Beach. OK. And then uh, in uh, the San Francisco area, you have the uh, the Fillmore District, OK, which was a, a district that was wiped out by. Uh, expressways and they had a lot of African-American homes. It was in the 1960s. Uh, so there's a good article from the Washington Post from February 27, 2023, San Francisco debates reparations, $5 million each for black residents. Okay. And they talk about the Fillmore district in the 1960s uh, was, de was demolished. Um, and this was uh, a neighborhood once known as the Harlem of the West and it displaced 883 businesses and about 20,000 people, most of them African-American. OK, so California has a history of this, but we see this across the country. So when we talk about repairing the damage, not just of 246 years of slavery, OK, but decades of housing discrimination, theft of land, uh, racism, voter suppression, et cetera. OK, so th this is why you have to understand the laws and policies that were put in place that inflicted the harm to understand the laws and policies that need to be put in place to repair the damage that was done. Understood, brother. We are going to stay with our audience and viewers. Uh, let's go to another comment. Chris Big, I saw this comment stand out. Uh, you wrote, thank you, sir, Compensation, Compensated Emancipation Act uh, paid reparations to slavery owners at 300 per slave. That was only I, Washington, D.C. That, that was, was the compensated. It. That was the compensated. Okay. This, this is the mistake people make. That was the Compensated Emancipation Act of April 16th, 1862, which was sponsored by a senator who was an abolitionist. It was passed by Congress, signed into law by President Abraham Lincoln. And it was about um, something like uh, 2,900 petitions by slave owners that only applied in Washington, D.C. That did not apply to uh, all slave owners in the country. All right. Okay, and we're gonna we're just gonna finish the um Go quote ahead. and then you can respond as well. 
so I used that number to come up with $4.9 trillion adjusted for uh, inflation. The mistake, so he's, making, the mistake yes. he's making is he thinks mm -hmm. that applied to all of the African slaves in this country. It did not. It, that only applied to Washington, D.C. Go to the Zen Education Project, read the information they have on the Compensated Emancipation Act, archives.gov has it, et cetera. So this is, this is why we really have to understand what it is that we're talking about. Because I hear people thinking that that applied to all the slaves in the U.S. and all the slave owners. No, it did not. That was only for Washington, D.C., and that was in 1862 during the U.S. Civil War. Okay, very interesting. Y'all teaching me here, and I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm a historian. I've been studying history 33 years. Google my name. Visit yes. my website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. There's a reason why I'm in seven documentaries. Okay, well, I think also maybe they, and just to play devil's advocate, they perhaps do know it only applied to D.C., but are no, still using don't. it. Okay, so most people don't. If they did not, then we're definitely glad that you have um, highlighted now, that. But if they do, I think just the number he's trying to come up with yeah, is no. based on one example. You you disagree with that? It, uh, most people don't know it only applied to Washington D.C. Okay, and the other thing is a lot of people confuse what Great Britain did in uh, 1834 with the mm -hmm. Slave Abolition Act when they uh, abolished slavery and they, and they paid two, they paid reparations to 46,000 British slave owners and mm -hmm. they took out a loan for about 19 million pounds and that was for the 800,000 enslaved Africans, okay? Mm. A lot of people can pick, uh, uh, confuse what Great Britain did with what the U.S. did. Okay, understood. Thank you. Uh, keeping us on our toes and keeping us uh, uh, accurate. I appreciate you, uh, Mr. Michael M. Hope Tap. We're gonna go next to, let's bring up Oil King. I saw this quote, uh, just give me housing. I think we were talking about housing, sir. Uh, this quote was used then, and he said, don't call it reparations. Uh, we have plenty of housing programs. So he said he doesn't need the title repara reparations, although it could be used to make uh, black people whole. I know you went kind of in depth with that. Do you think that is one of the, I guess, most reasonable or possibly, um, which I say, you use the word resistance, probably would be least resisted uh, means of providing uh, black uh, uh, coming from the federal government part part of it see we have to have comprehensive repairing of the damage it's not going to be just one thing it's not going to be just one bill okay mm -hmm. so the, the, the and uh, home ownership and not just home ownership free property taxes don't because see there's a history of African Americans having their property taxes property taxes over assessed and then we lose our home when we can't pay the property taxes. This is one of the ways our our, our land has been stolen from us. Uh, over assessing property taxes, the heirs' property rights. Uh, when it comes to a loophole, when it comes to land ownership, and this is one of the ways that a lot of African-American uh, uh, farmers have lost their land with the heirs property loophole, which is so if it's so for, it's say, for instance, say if 10 grandchildren inherit land, OK, uh, from their grandfather or grandparents, and then one of them sells the land to a speculator, part of their land to a speculator, then there's a loophole that allows them somehow to be able to take over the rest of that land. This is heirs property. All right. When you study this, we've lost millions of acres of land through that. So uh, it can be part of a comprehensive uh, repairing of the damage. But this is why you first have to understand what happened to us. And one of the things, one of the mistakes we make is we try to start studying our history in slavery as a historian. And as a student of Professor James Small, Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamane, I have to say, when we talk about repairing the damage and making us whole again, 
we first have to understand who African people were and what African people had before we were put into an institution of slavery that stripped, of, stripped us of our history, our names, our culture, spiritual systems, folklore, mores, nationalities, things of this nature, and, and, and put us into an institution that uh, put us into the category of chattel. You can't start studying our history and slavery because you missed the thousands of years of history prior to that. So when we talk about repairing the damage, I want to be restored to the level that my ancestors had prior to slavery, not get a check because they didn't get paid wow. during slavery. This is a totally different I was concept. Say, that, that conceptually, I've never heard reparations placed as in what we would have been. Uh, I'm trying to tell you, we have to refashion how we think thing. about repairing the damage. You first have to analyze the damage that was done. Mm, that's very deep. I love this question. We got to take a quick break after this. But Lana L says, does the African History Network have a reparations class? I would love to. <laughs> we have history classes. We have history classes that I teach that deal with not just the history of slavery, but thousands of years of history leading up to slavery taking place. I teach that on Saturdays, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And then the, uh, the, the class I teach on Sundays, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, the U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement. So we deal with understanding repairing the damage reparations things like that in both of those uh courses uh visit my website theafricanhistorynetwork.com theafricanhistorynetwork.com you can register for those and i'm also teaching a um a, a free i'm doing a free online lecture uh saturday march 18 12 noon eastern standard time in honor of women's history month or black women's history month it's called great african women in history the mothers of civilization so you can register for all that at our website theafricanhistorynetwork.com but we do deal with understanding reparations better and repairing the damage and who we were before we were put into the institution of slavery. I love it, y'all. We have more time. I, I Listen, I got to get to a few more comments. I'm enjoying this conversation on reparations with Mr. Michael M. Hotel. We got to take one more quick break, y'all. Don't go anywhere. We're going deep. I'm Susan Speaks and Faraji in for Faraji Muhammad. More of the culture right after this. We're back. I am Suzette Speaks in for Faraji Muhammad right here on The Culture. Enjoying a deep conversation with my brother, Mr. Michael Imhotep. We're talking reparations, y'all, and we're going to bring him back now. I wanted to ask you, brother, about why the federal response has been so stalled. The last thing I remember is Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, doing a wonderful presentation before Congress, making the case for federal level reparations. Where are we now? with the federal response, has the Biden administration made any moves and why or why not? Okay, so um, the biggest push at the federal level has been H.R. 40, which was first sponsored by the Honorable John Conyers here in my city, Detroit, 1989, the year after Japanese Americans, you um, after the bill to pay Japanese Americans $1.6 billion uh, divided into um, uh, $20,000 per Japanese American. So it went to about 82,254 of uh, uh, the being put in, into internment camps uh, during World War II. Uh, the year after that, John Conyers introduces HR 40. And the 40 comes from 40 acres and a mule, which is special field order number 15. Um, 
the prior to the coup plotters taking back control of the House Representatives, uh, you had, uh, according to Congress.gov, 196 co-sponsors of HR 40. Uh, none of them, none of them were, uh, Republicans. I've heard that you had 217 co-sponsors. It takes 218, uh, votes to get any bill passed in the House. Now, the problem is in the Senate, you're going to need 60 votes in the Senate. Um, no Republicans support reparations in the House or the Senate, not even the black ones. So uh, you even with right now, even with 51 Democratic senators, and I'm not sure Joe Manchin or Chris, Kirsten Sinema supported either. But uh, you need nine Republicans to vote for it at the federal level. What, what really should happen is um, we have to push for the policies that we want and take the term reparations off of it. The majority of the people in the House and the Senate that got to vote for this stuff are white. 95% of the U.S. Senate is white and you need 60 votes in the Senate, okay? And uh, one, of the things that need, one of the things that needs to happen, so for instance, I, I posted this article here and I've talked about it here on the show before. Uh, uh, racism has cost you, the, the U.S. $16 trillion Citigroup fines. Now, this is an article from September 23rd, 2020. I've done an extensive uh, broadcast dealing with this. And it, it, it documents how over the course of 20 years, from the year 2000 to 2019, the U.S. economy has lost $16 trillion due to racism. One of the things this does is it shows how racism negatively impacts everybody in the country, not just African-Americans. The same argument that I make when it comes to getting the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed is the same argument that I make when it comes to getting the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed. And the same argument with repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery, Jim Crow reparations and segregation, et cetera. If you only make this a black issue, you're going to lose when the majority of the people that got to vote for it are white. If you actually can we put if you can pull up that article, because what it does is it, it, it goes and looks at three categories and it show it says that black workers had have lost 113 billion dollars in potential wages over the past two decades because they could not get a college degree okay so if they could so if if you correct that then they can buy homes they could buy cars things like this this helps grow the gdp this helps grow the economy it, number two, the housing market lost $218 billion in sales because black applicants could not get home loans. This mm. helped banks. This helps real estate agents, et cetera. This helped grow the economy. Number three, about $13 trillion in business revenue never flowed into the economy because African-American entrepreneurs could not get access to bank loans. Most importantly, they go on to say, the U.S. could have $5 trillion in gross domestic product over the next five years if those gaps and, and others were closed today. This is dealing with laws and policies. So when you repair this, when you repair these laws and policies, it helps everybody. Wow. So, so, so we have to, and what this study does, and there are others like it, it shows how racism is hurting everyone in this country, mm -hmm. even though we may get the brunt of it. OK, so we have to also understand how to market the benefits of correcting these uh, structural inequities, as opposed to just focusing on how it's going to help African-Americans when the majority of the people that got to vote for this stuff are white. Yeah, I, I've never heard it framed that way, quite frankly. My degrees in and, business administration, not history. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, would people rather and again, maybe commentators would agree or disagree 
do you think that the majority population would rather shoot themselves in the foot than actually make money uh, <laughs> and allow black see, people see, to we, also we, make we, money? We, like, that's what that's saying. Is, am, I, am I incorrect? In business school, we talk about a win-win proposition. Right. If I want a deal from you, I got to explain to you what's in the deal for, for you, you, how it's going to help you. Okay, and that even though you have a lot of people who mean well and their hearts are committed to this, that largely that's not what's happening. Right. We have to talk about how correcting these structural inequities the will help everybody. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Not even though we'll get the majority of the benefit because we got the majority of the harm. This will help repair America also. That's amazing. Policies that are good for African Americans are good yes. for America in general. In general, I, that I believe as well. Let's go to a few more comments, y'all. We have about ten minutes left. Uh, Chris Big, I saw when you uh, responded to what Mr. Imhotep proposed. Uh, Chris's opinion states: when uh, the damage, be when the damages begin, is a legal question as opposed as opposed to a historical one. Thank you for your comment. Let's go to Lana L next. Thank you, sis. Uh, she wrote, HR 40 has been dismantled to garbage. Now, if we don't even have the votes in the Senate, nobody is voting for it in the Senate. Um, what, what benefit does it have? Like, how can we continue to keep it at the fore? Many of us who, you know, support uh, one party or another, mostly the Democratic Party, uh, you know, see this as, you know, something that they have kind of overlooked. Is there a way that the public at large can put this back into, you know, the conversation at the forefront of the conversation where many people think it deserves to be as opposed to kind of like, oh, it's a back burner. And I guess, you know, wait on cities and states to do it instead. What are your thoughts? Okay, uh, first thing that has to happen is America needs a massive history lesson because Americans are very ignorant of history. I'm not just talking about America, uh, African-Americans. I'm talking about Americans in general. One of the good things about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday is if it can become very powerful if we use it correctly, because Juneteenth is the only federal holiday that uh, deals with slavery. OK, this is an opportunity to have a national conversation of not just about slavery and the harm that was inflicted upon African-Americans, but what happened after slavery ended. OK. The collapse of Reconstruction, the collapse of the Freedmen's Bank in 1874 when African-Americans lost $2.9 million in deposit, how our land was taken away uh, uh, after Reconstruction in, the voter suppression that was implemented. And then also a lot of people don't know that you have between 8,000 and 20,000 white Southerners who fled the U.S. and they went to Venezuela, Cuba, and Brazil because slavery was still available, still legal there because they did not want to live under rule of Republicans and deal with free African Americans running around as well. So America must have a massive history lesson with uh, June 1st, uh, with June 1st becoming a um, National Day of Remembrance of the Tulsa Race Massacre. That's a that's an opportunity for us to have a national conversation of not just the greatness of Black Wall Street, but that ties right into the Black Freedom Indian Treaties of 1866. OK, because that's how a lot of early African-American landowners got land to build Black Wall Street was from those treaties. All right. So we have to understand that one, America needs a massive history lesson Two, you have to use that that history lesson as a platform to push the policies that have to be put in place to help repair the damage. And three, talk about how repairing the damage will benefit everybody in this country, not just African-Americans, when white people are the majority of the people who have to vote for these laws. Now, if we were 70 percent of the population, it'd be totally different with 13 and a half percent. 
Okay, and we only make up two and a half percent of the U.S. Senate. And I say half because half the time, Senator Tim Scott does not like he's black. Well, hold on now. We we about out of time. He's against Uh, reparations, by the way. Tim Scott is. Okay. He voted voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. He blocked the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Okay, he he voted against Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. He voted against Christian uh, 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 Clark uh, being a deputy U uh, 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 deputy uh, head of the Civil Rights Department of the Department of Justice. He's phenotypically well, he, black, not consciously black. All right, now we gotta wrap up because uh, there's so much more that we can say about this. I want to get a quick thirty second prediction. Now this was through a advisory board, an advisory board in San Francisco. Do you think this actually gets adopted? by the elected officials in San Francisco? The, the $5 million? Yes, any of it. Uh, I don't think the $5 million is. I think some of the other recommendations will. Now, the, the, the real test is what happens when lawsuits are filed. This is why you have to be on strong legal footing to in the, withstand, in the because whatever you pass, laws get interpreted by the judicial branch of the government, yes. and that can go to federal and it can go to the U.S. Supreme Court. All right, we're out of time. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Michael M. Hotel, for doing work today All on right. the culture. Appreciate the you coming Network. through. Com. Of course, we'll come visit you. Thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Please, you. if you are not already subscribed to my channel, I do have a little YouTube channel going on. Go over to Suzette Speaks. Uh, just look it up on, on YouTube, Suzette Speaks. And I want to thank my brother Faraji Muhammad for allowing me uh, to fill his very large shoes right here on the culture. I appreciate all of the culture fam for watching, commenting, sharing, and for holding us down in general. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'll be back tomorrow, also guest hosting. That's it for us today, y'all. I will see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for watching. Hotep, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. So I was on uh, Faraji Muhammad's show, uh, The Culture, today, Thursday, March 16th. And uh, Suzette Speaks was sitting in for uh, Faraji. And we talked about um, San Francisco, the, the California Reparations Task Force and the San Francisco Reparations Task Force. And we talked about um, one of about a hundred proposals coming from the San Francisco reparations task force. And this draw is getting a lot of headlines and it deals with, um, $5 million or one-time payment of $5 million to eligible African-Americans in San Francisco, not for slavery, not for slavery. And also, um, the president of the NAACP in San Francisco, who sits on the uh, committee for both the reparations San Francisco uh, task force, San Francisco reparations task force and the California reparations task force, Reverend Amos C. Brown, who's the president of the San Francisco NAACP. He has come out in opposition to the $5 million payment. So you have a lot of people putting out misinformation on social media. Uh, So I want to, uh, give you the facts and break this down, okay? Because you have a lot of people who disagree with the $5 million. I said on Faraji's show is unrealistic and it's not going to happen, all right? So let's look at a few factual articles so people can stop putting this nonsense out here, lying to our people. Let's look first at this article uh, from February 27th, 2023 that I referenced today on Faraji's show. 
San Francisco debates reparations, $5 million uh, each for black residents, question mark. $5 million each for black residents. Conservatives say the proposal to give qualified black residents $5 million each would, would be financially ruinous for the city. And, and even some reparations advocates dismiss the figure as an unrealistic distraction. It is unrealistic, okay? Um, and it's nonsensical. That ain't gonna happen at all. So when we look at uh, this article here. One of the things, you know, I mentioned on Faraji's show today, uh, the Fillmore District in San Francisco in the 1960s, uh, the Fillmore District was de demolished and there was a neighborhood uh, that uh, had about 883 uh, businesses and about 23, about 20,000 people. Um, and most of them were African-American. Okay. Uh, decades later, thousands of, of people remained displaced and the neighborhood has turned into a predominantly white enclave of multi-million dollar homes. Now, when we look at San Francisco, just like California, California does not have a history of slavery. So when we talk about repairing the damage, it's not just for slavery, it's for decades of Jim Crow segregation, housing segregation, redlining, voter suppression, it's a number of different things, not just not, not just reparations, not, not not just slavery. OK, so first and foremost, a lot of what we think we know about reparations, we need to discard. We need to throw it away and start at the bottom dealing with history, law, dealing with facts and evidence, because a lot of this stuff floating around is just nonsensical and it's designed to generate revenue for the people who keep pimping our people lying to them putting this nonsense out here and elevate their social media platforms whatever the hell it is that they're trying to do now to compensate for that and other instances of racial discrimination the city's african-american reparations advisory committee recently recommended that qualifying black residents receive five million dollars each in reparations okay now there's um I'm going to deal with a more updated article from March 14th because there's over a hundred recommendations that the committee uh, has made uh, recently. Okay. And this came out uh, Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Now the, um, if we go down right here uh, to compensate, let's see here. I want to go to this part right here okay to compensate for that and other instances of racial discrimination okay now next line uh there wasn't eric mcdonald chair of the reparations committee and the principal of peacock partnerships a san francisco-based consulting firm said there was not a math formula uh quote it was a it was a journey uh for the committee towards what could be what could represent a significant enough investment in families to put them on this path to economic well-being, growth, and vitality that chattel slavery and all other policies that flowed from it destroy? Okay, now the proposed end quote. Okay, the proposed reparations program is not a recompense for slavery. Not a recompense for slavery. This is the first thing people have to understand because San Francisco does not have a history of slavery. OK, the article goes on to say from the Washington Post, slavery was never legal in San Francisco. But instead, the committee's report says for, quote, 
the public policies explicitly created to subjugate black people in San Francisco by upholding and expanding the intent and legacy of chattel slavery, the intent and legacy of chattel slavery. But California doesn't have a history of slavery, neither does San Francisco. Now, there were about 1,500 people that have been identified as like in a semi-slavery status in California because when California became a state in the union in 1850, it came into the union as a, as a free state. So slavery was abolished. They did try to ban all free uh, African-Americans in California under, under um, uh, Burnett, the first, uh, the first governor of uh, California. They did, they did try to do that. Um, now, when you have the gold rush taking place, uh, 1849, 1850s uh, in, in California, um, you have African-Americans who are in a semi-slavery status, but it's about 1,500 that are identified. And even the California Reparations Task Force would tell you this, okay? So this basically is not for slavery, just so people understand. All right, now, if we go and look uh, now, Dr. William Darity, who's one of the top authorities on reparations, is against the $5 million being proposed. Okay. Now, if we go to page two of this article, um, it says even some, even some within the reparations movement have dismissed the figure as unrealistic have dismissed the figure as unrealistic. There are no widely accepted formulas for paying reparations, says Dr. William A. Darity Jr., an economist who has been advocating for reparations for decades, but the number should be, quote unquote, somewhat realistic. The number should be, quote unquote, somewhat realistic. Dr. William Darity went on to say, quote, calling for $5 million payout by a local government undercuts the credibility undercuts the credibility of the reparations effort because it's stupid it's not going to happen what a lot of these people who are putting this nonsense out here and getting our people hyped up okay what a lot of them won't tell you is that um san francisco and I'm trying to find it right here. San Francisco has a budget deficit of $728 million over uh, the next two years. You think they're going to give $5 million each to African-Americans? And is and we're like 6% of it, something like uh, is about 50,000 African-Americans in San Francisco. You think they're going to give $5 million each? And they did. Yes, their overall budget is $14 billion, but they're dealing with a uh, $728 million uh, budget deficit. And let me go to, I'm going to show you that here because I have a few articles because I want to deal with facts and evidence here. I don't want to deal with a lot of this nonsense that people like to put out um, just lying and pimping our people with misinformation. Okay, uh, let's see here. We're, I think it's in the article from uh, Washington Post. All 
All right, let's continue. Let's continue with the article from the Washington Post. I'll find. Oh, yeah, it's an article from Washington Post, page four. Okay, let's look at this page four. All right, because I want to make sure we deal with uh, facts and evidence. I'm a historian, okay, and a researcher. Proper documentation ends all conversation. I don't deal with a lot of this nonsense that people want to put out here and hype our people up with misinformation. Uh, let's see. Okay, if we go to page four of the article, it's like the third paragraph from the bottom. I would have put that up in the first two paragraphs, to be honest with you, if I was writing this article. Uh, right here. Despite being the home, despite being home to Silicon Valley's tech billionaires, San Francisco faces a $728 million budget deficit over the next two years. San Francisco faces a $728 million budget deficit over the next two years. And even some reparations committee members are critical of the proposal of the, of the $5 million. It distracts from uh, now, this is uh, Reverend Amos C. Brown, who is the president of the San Francisco branch of the NAACP, and he's on the uh, task force for both the California Reparations Task Force at the state level and the San Francisco Reparations Task Force at the city level. He said it distracts from the reports, other recommendations said Reverend Amos C. Brown, a member of both San Francisco and the state's reparations task force. Quote, you can't put a dollar tag on the horrifying and hellish evil that our ancestors went through. Uh, he's been pastor. He's been the pastor of San Francisco's third Baptist church since 1976. He said, quote, but what you can do is implement simple, practical programs that will deal with our health or deal with our health challenges, our educational needs, our economic needs, and creating spaces for us to connect as a community for our cultural needs. Now, what people don't seem to understand, so once again, San Francisco does not have a history of slavery. What people don't seem to understand is that whatever gets passed, there are going to be lawsuits filed, and it's going to have to go to court. And you want to make sure that you're on strong legal footing so that whatever you pass at the city level doesn't get overturned in in the judicial branch of government doesn't get overturned in the courts, because this is this is what's going to happen. All right. And nobody wants to talk about that. It's just like the, a lot of the people who said that, oh, all Joe Biden has to do is sign an executive order to forgive student loan forgiveness. That means you don't understand law and don't understand the power that uh, the limitations on the power of the executive branch of the federal government, because his student loan forgiveness um, executive order had to be very targeted. And they used the 2003 Heroes Act, which already passed Congress, which gives the president the ability to discharge debt during the time of crisis. But he's doing this through the Department of Education and the powers that the Secretary of Education has. So that's why they put parameters on uh, when it came to income under one hundred twenty five thousand dollars 
um, um, income and forgive up to $10,000. And then if you took out a Pell Grant, you can get up to $20,000 forgiven to make sure they're on strong legal footing to operate within the power of the executive branch of the federal government based upon the HEROES Act, but also based upon Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution and the powers that the president has. A lot of those people who said all he has to do is do an executive order didn't see lawsuits being filed. They didn't they didn't know that was going to happen and didn't know it's going to end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. And you got a 6-3 conservative majority in the U.S. Supreme Court, thanks to Donald Trump and the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society. OK, and the 78,000 people in 2016 who voted for Trump instead of Hillary Clinton because Donald Trump won Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by 78,000 votes, which gave him 270 electoral college votes, okay, to become president-elect. So just like they didn't see lawsuits being filed when it comes to student loan forgiveness, and that's going to help millions of white people, even though it's going to definitely help a lot of African-Americans, that's going to help millions of white people, they don't see lawsuits being filed here. This is why you have to be on strong legal footing. Okay, now, if we uh, look at this, uh, if we go to page... Let's go to page two. You go to page two here in the article from the Washington Post. Um, okay, San Francisco's $5 million proposal, which has gained a lot of headlines. San Francisco's $5 million proposal, uh, magnitudes larger than amounts San Francisco's $5 million proposal, magnitudes larger than amounts being discussed in other communities, has drawn intense backlash from conservatives who lambast the idea as financially ruinous for a city with an annual budget of $14 billion that is still recovering economically from the pandemic. The proposal does not explain who would qualify. Yeah, it doesn't explain, it doesn't explain the criteria doesn't explain who would qualify, how they would qualify. But if even a fraction of the city's 50,000 uh, African-American residents met the criteria, it would consume a huge amount of the city's annual budget. It would consider it would consume a huge amount of the city's annual budget. This is just something that's totally unrealistic. That's not going to happen. So what people who have sense of saying is like, it's not even, it's not even worth uh, wasting time with something like that. That's not going to happen. Let's deal with things that are realistic, that have an actual chance of being implemented. Okay, now, uh, if we go to page four here, and it was a comment from uh, Dr. William Darity. This one uh, deals with... Uh, Okay, Dr. William Darity, who who um, prescribed three hundred fifty thousand dollars each uh, for African Americans nationwide. That's not going to happen either. But this is on page three. Let me find this. Hold on, just a second. 
Okay. So right here. Um, meanwhile, uh, Dr. William Darity, the economist, uh, the economist says black Americans should receive at least $350,000 each in a federal reparations program, a federal reparations program. Okay. A figure based on his calculation of the country's racial wealth gap. Uh, Dr. William Darity, who's a public policy professor at Duke University, said, we see the racial wealth gap as this core indicator of the cumulative effects over time of white racism and white supremacy on living black Americans whose ancestors were enslaved here. Okay, this is extremely important, this part here. The cumulative effects over time, okay? This is not just dealing with slavery. This is dealing with uh, decades of Jim Crow segregation, racism, redlining, voter suppression, voter suppression, uh, segregation when it comes to homes, being segregated out of jobs, segregated out of opportunity, uh, theft of land, express 41,000 miles of U.S. interstate highways running through our communities, wiping out tens of thousands of homes, displacing uh, 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 hundreds of thousands of African-Americans. That's what this is. That's what this is dealing with. Not just slavery. OK, so you have to understand the laws and policies that were put in place that continue to inflict harm after slavery end, ended and continues to inflict harm right now. Okay, now, uh, California has established a separate state reparations task force and asked a team of five economists to quantify the cost of discrimination that the state's black population has faced. Now, the team calculated California's maximum liability for discriminatory housing policies, because California does not have a history of slavery, discriminatory housing policies between the years 1933 and 1977 and settled on the figure of $569 billion, that would work out to $223,239 $223, for every um, African-American California resident. All right. Okay, so check out the rest of uh, this article here from the Washington Post. San Francisco debates reparations, $5 million each for black residents. This is from February 27th, uh, 2023 by Emmanuel Felton for the Washington Post. Okay, so let's deal with like realistic uh, remedies, not nonsensical, fantastical, simple Simon ass nonsense that sounds good in headlines, but it's not going anywhere. All right, now, um, you also have this article here from the Associated Press that was uh, picked up by NBC News. And in this article, let's see here. Um, I want to go to. Let's pull this one up. OK, San Francisco board open to reparations with $5 million payouts. This is from March 14th, 2023. You can read the entire article. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing. Uh, it's just a uh, part that I want to highlight. We just look at the first 
couple of paragraphs here. So the draft reparations plan released in December is unmatched nationwide in its specificity and breadth. Breadth. Okay, so this was uh, updated March 15, 2023. Now, payments of $5 million to every eligible black adult. They haven't set the criteria yet. So we have no idea what, what, what it would be. The elimination of personal debt and tax burdens, the elimination of personal debt and tax burdens, guaranteed annual incomes of at least $97,000 for 250 years and homes in San Francisco for just $1 a family, okay? These were some of more than 100 recommendations made by a city appointed reparations committee ta uh, committee tasked with the thorny question of how to atone for centuries of slavery and systemic racism, okay? But California does not have a history of racism, neither does San Francisco. And the San Francisco Board of Supervisors hearing the report for the first time, uh, Tuesday voiced enthusiastic support for the ideas listed with some saving money, with some saying money should not stop the city from doing the right thing. If the if the city don't have the money, it ain't gonna happen. Let's just be realistic. Okay. It's not, stop living in fairy tale land. If, if the city don't have the money, it's not gonna happen. And you have to make sure you're on strong legal grounds because when you get sued, that can be overturned in court. Okay, so this is why we have to deal with what's realistic and what 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 you are on legal footing in doing, not something that just sounds like fantasy. Okay. Several supervisors said they were surprised to hear pushback from politically liberal San Franciscans, apparently unaware that the legacy of slavery and racist policies continues to keep black Americans on the bottom rungs of health, uh, education, economic prosperity, and overrepresentation in prisons and, and homeless populations. Okay, so uh, are they talking about in the U.S. or San Francisco? Because once again, uh, uh, now I said this on Faraji's show today. What people have to understand when you deal with city-based uh, reparations, the city is is looking to repair the damage that the city was responsible for inflicting. The city of San Francisco, the city of Detroit, the city of Evanston, Illinois, is not looking to repair the damage that the federal government did or the state government did because basically they don't have those type of resources. They're looking to repair the damage that the city historically did based upon the laws and policies that the city implemented. That's why you have to be clear on what it is that you're talking about. The draft reparations plan released in December 2022 is unmatched nationwide in its specificity and breadth. The committee has not done an analysis of the cost of the proposals, but critics have slammed the plan as financially and politically impossible. An estimate from Stanford University's Hoover Institution, which leans conservative, has said it would cost each non-black family in the city of San Francisco, at least $600,000. Even if it costs each non-black family in the city of San Francisco, 
300 or 200,000. It's, it's not going to happen. I'm just telling you right now. Okay. Don't wait for your reparations check in the mail. Uh, especially $97,000 a year for 250 years for African-Americans in uh, uh, guaranteed annual incomes in San Francisco. No, that's not happening. Now, in San Francisco, African-American residents made up more than 13% of the city's population, but more than 50 years later, uh, now, this was uh, in, let's see, but more than, this was, I think, in the 1960s. But more than 50 years later, they account for less than 6% of the city's residents and 38% of its homeless population. The Fillmore District once thrived with Black-owned nightclubs and shops until government redevelopment in the 1960s forced out residents. Okay? And you have the expressways that come through and displaced, displaced a lot of African-Americans. Now, fewer than 50,000 black people still live in the city of San Francisco, and it's not clear how many would be eligible. Possible criteria include having lived in the city during certain time periods and descending from someone incarcerated for the failed war on drugs. Okay, critics say the payout uh, make no sense in a statement in a, in a state and city that never enslaved people. This is what I'm trying to explain to people. You have to understand what it is that you're talking about. You can't just, especially when you deal at the city level, you have to understand the history of that city. You're, you're dealing with repairing the damage that the city inflicted, not what the state government did or what the federal government did. Critics say the payouts make no sense in a state and city that never enslaved black people. Opponents generally say taxpayers who were never slave owners should not have to pay money to people who were not enslaved. Okay. Now, yes, reparations needs to take place in San Francisco and California, but it should be based upon repairing the damage of the laws and policies that were implemented by the state of California and by the city of San Francisco. That's what you're repairing. Okay, advocates say that uh, that view ignores a wealth of data and historical evidence showing that long after U.S. slavery officially ended in 1865, government policies and practices worked to imprison black people at high rates, deny access to home and business loans, and, and restrict where they could work and live. That doesn't, uh, I mean, they may talk about uh, opponents uh to reparations in general but no this is even when you read what the california reparations task force is saying and when they put out their 500 page uh study and they talk about what happened in the state of california they they deal with uh housing discrimination discrimination when it comes to bank loans to uh uh, uh get mortgages and start businesses all different types of things and they talk about uh, they, they they talk about California primarily. They do talk about the, the, the U.S. And they talked about how African-Americans have been harmed, you know, throughout the U.S. But they they focus on California based upon policies that California implemented. All right. So check out this article. Also, San Francisco board open to reparations with five million dollar payouts. 
And then there was uh, one from the Associated Press that uh, came out uh, Wednesday, March 15th. Wednesday, March 15th from the Associated Press. Okay, so this one right here from the Associated Press, what's the next step for black reparations in San Francisco? This is from Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. And so they talk about the $5 million uh, payment uh, uh, to every eligible person or to any one or to any of the more than 100 other recommendations made by an advisory committee. It won't be uh, known until late this year. Okay, now, they, let's see, what is the argument for reparations in San Francisco? Black migration, so what's the argument for reparations in San Francisco? This is what a lot of people putting this misinformation out here miss. Black migration in San Francisco soared in the 1940s because of shipyard work. But racially restrictive covenants and redlining limited where they could live. When black residents were able to build a thriving neighborhood in the Fillmore district, government redevelopment plan the government redevelopment plans in the 1960s forced out residents, stripped them of their property, and decimated black-owned business businesses, advocates say, and decimated black-owned businesses. Okay. Then you had, you know, Bruce's Beach. That was taken in the early 1900s and was worth millions of dollars. And it was recently given back to the descendants uh, of the uh, entrepreneur uh, African-American pioneers uh, uh, that uh, bought Bruce's Beach and built it up. And, and then the descendants sold it back to the state of California for $20 million. Today, fewer than 6% of San Francisco residents are black, yet they make up nearly 40% of the city's homeless population, 38% of the city's homeless population. Supporters include the San Francisco NAACP, although it said the board should reject the $5 million payouts, payments, $5 million payments, and focus instead on reparations through education, jobs, housing, healthcare, and a cultural center for black people in San Francisco, because we don't understand our history. That's why they want a culture center. You need a culture center to teach our history and understand history, law, politics, and economics. Because America is ignorant of history, one. And African-Americans are very ignorant of, of, of our history. Half, half our people still think Willie Lynch historically existed. Now, the president of the San Francisco branch is the Reverend Amos C. Brown, who sits on both the statewide and San Francisco reparations panels, Okay. Um, so then they go and talk about the argument against reparations, et cetera. And some of that I already highlighted. Okay. So you can check this, uh, check this out. It's unclear how San Francisco is going to pay for this. Okay. The advisory committee that made the recommendation says it's not its job to figure out how to finance San Francisco's atonement repair. It'll help if you come up with some recommendations because they're dealing with a $728 million budget deficit over the next two years. OK, so five million dollars, that ain't that's not going to happen. What are some of the other reparations recommendations, recommendations in education, including establishing an Afrocentric K through 12 school in San Francisco, hiring and retaining black teachers, mandating a core 
black history and culture curriculum and offering cash to at-risk students for hitting educational bookmarks, benchmarks. It's not going to be just one. We're talking about repairing the damage for decades, okay, of racism, discrimination, et cetera. It's not going to be one policy that does it. We have to have comprehensive reparations. It has to be a number of things. You, you first have to identify the harm that was done through the various laws and policies. Then implement multiple laws and policies to address that harm that was done and repair the harm that was done. That's why it's not going to be just one policy. You have to have comprehensive reparations. Recommendations in health include free mental free mental health, prenatal care, uh, and rehab treatment for impoverished black San Franciscans, uh, victims of violent crimes and formerly incarcerated people. The advisory committee also recommends prioritizing black uh, San Franciscans for job opportunities and training, as well as finding ways to incubate black businesses, as well as ways, uh, finding ways to incubate black businesses. Whatever you prescribe, whatever passes at the city level and gets implemented, you have to make sure that you're on strong legal footing because Republicans and their Negro sympathizers are going to file lawsuits to block what you have passed and make sure you don't get it and take it away from you. That's why I cannot stress this enough. You have to make sure it can withstand legal challenges because it will be challenged legally. There's no deadline for supervisors to agree on the path forward. Uh, the board next plans to discuss reparations proposals in September 2023 after the San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee issues a final report in June, June of uh, 2023. OK. All right. Read the rest of this here. This is from the Associated Press. Uh, what's next for the. What's the next step for black reparations in San Francisco by Jane, uh, uh, Janie Har, H-A-R, uh, March 15th, 2023 uh, is when this article came out. All right. So hopefully that sheds some light on uh, more on our conversation today on uh, the culture on uh, with Faraji Muhammad. Suzette Speaks was sitting in for Faraji. And I know I was going fast. We was trying to get in a lot of information in uh, a short period of time. Okay. All right. If you like this type of information, be sure to support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Uh, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also, uh, register for the online history classes that I teach because while I was on the show, somebody uh, posted in the comments and Suzette Speaks read it, uh, uh, read the comments. Do, do I teach history classes? Do I teach classes on reparations? I teach online history classes. We discuss uh, reparations some in the classes, but more importantly, we deal with uh, history. So there's two uh, main history classes that I teach, 12-week online history courses, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt. The Ma'afa is a Kiswahili term referring to the great disaster, our, our Holocaust, the transatlantic slave trade. Teach this class Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Register right now for it. Uh, click right here, register for the full course. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. Uh, so on Saturday, March 18th at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, I'm doing a free online uh, lecture, Great African Women in History, The Mothers of Civilization. And uh, so click right here to register for that also. And even if you missed that free online lecture, it will be archived, so you'll still be able to register. So go ahead and register now, and you'll be able to watch it even after uh, the lecture is over with, because it will be archived. And then on Sundays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I teach Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, the U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement. We look at history from 1800 through 1968, understand what leads up to the Civil War taking place. We look at the Haitian Revolution and the Louisiana Purchase because those two events are related. And um, we, we go through a look at uh, Reconstruction Era, 1865, 1877, uh, Jim Crow Era, Great Migration, World War One, World War II, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement to understand what happened to us after slavery ended, what were the laws and policies put in place to put us in the predicament we're in today to understand where we need to go from here, okay? So this is Black Resistance Movements, um, and you can register for that as well. That's on sale, uh, $80, regularly $130, okay? And we have a bundle pack uh, of courses there also. All right, and also you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, uh, or through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. When you register for the uh, online courses that I teach, when you pay for the online courses or you support us through Cash App or PayPal or uh, buy my uh, lectures, uh, my digital downloads, my lectures, this helps finance the African History Network itself. So let's keep doing the research, stay on the air, pay some of the bills, et cetera, uh, finance the radio show, the Sunday night radio show, the African History Network show. All right, we have to get out of here right now. It's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Hotep, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Join me Saturday, March 18th, 2023. 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for my 12-week online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This is a fantastic online course that I teach, and we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Visit my website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have the information right on the homepage of the website. You can register for this online course. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. So I teach this class 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. If you missed any of the previous classes, as soon as you register, you'll be able to watch them. So the class is on sale $80, regularly $130. And even after this 12-week online course is over, you can go back and watch the entire course. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We also have a preview of the online course uh, right here on the homepage of our website and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And this deals with African empires that Europeans tried to steal and claim as their own. So we can't start the study of our history in slavery. We have to deal with thousands of years of history that leads up to 
uh, the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We can't start in the 1400s um, when the Portuguese get involved. We can't start in 1619 when the White Lion pirate ship comes into um, Virginia, okay, with those 20 and odd Africans on it. We have to deal with the history chronologically, and we also have to look at the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who are going to take the teachings from ancient Kim and ancient Egypt into Europe and bring Europe out of the dark ages, okay? So I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, uh, video clips, and we bring history to life. Uh, we, we deal with the timeline of history uh, also, and this is a online course that I've been teaching on and off since 2017. I put together the curriculum of studying history 33 years. Uh, I'm his, a historian and the host of the African History Network show for 13 years. Now, this course not only deals with the transatlantic slave trade, but we deal with thousands of years of history that leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. August 20th, 2019 marked the 400th year anniversary of the 20 and odd Africans who came into Point Comfort. Uh, August 2016, 19 in the county uh, that would be known as Virginia. And that year was known as the year of return and many African-Americans um, were reconnecting to Africa and traveling to Ghana and other West African countries. When we discuss the transatlantic slave trade, we have to first understand that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America. And we've been in the land we call the United States of America. Uh, we've been in, in the land that we call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years. So we look at archaeological discoveries that have taken pay, place over the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, we look at Dr. David M. Hotel's book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. And I've interviewed him about 13 times in the African History Network show. Uh, we know his book is backed up by 713 footnotes, seven peer-reviewed articles, page 14 of his book. He lays out 13 different types of evidence thoroughly documenting an African presence in uh, the area today we call South Carolina, going back at least 51,700 years ago. Uh, they found artifacts, archi architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints, and lava, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeleton structures, and tools. These were uh, of the Khoisan. Um, the Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. They are the short stashed Africans, okay? And a October 2012 genetic study published in Science Magazine found that the Khoisan in Southern Africa are the oldest ethnic group of modern humans with their ancestral line originating um, about 100,000 years ago. The Khoisan, formerly called by the derogatory term Bushmen, are genetically unique and no other currently known population had separated so early from our common modern human ancestor, according to the report. So we take you through our history uh, chronologically. Uh, we look at different archaeological discoveries that are causing scientists and archaeologists uh, to, to, to push the timelines back. They're realizing that all of this is much older than we thought. The deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get, okay? Like this discovery here in February 2010 on Crete, new evidence of very ancient mariners. This article from the New York Times, and it deals with evidence on the Greek island of Crete uh, that 
where they date stone tools dating back at least 130,000 years ago. Crete has been an island for more than 5 million years, which basically implies people had to have sailed there. Um, we look at this discovery here from Morocco, June of 2017, where they found uh, remains of uh, Homo sapiens dating back at least 300,000 to 350,000 years ago. But the earliest previous Homo sapien bones dated back only 195,000 years ago in Ethiopia. Okay, so this is over 100,000 years prior to that. So what we, what we see is that African people are much older than uh, what we have originally been told. We look at the African presence in Asia, okay, as well. Uh, we look at the African presence um, in uh, Mexico, like with the Olmecs, and we look at the Mandinka Egyptian uh, Olmec con uh, connection that Dr. David M. Hotep deals with in the First Americans where Africans documented evidence. Uh, we look at the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who go into the Iberian Peninsula today known as Spain and Portugal. And it's going to be these teachings from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, that bring Europe out of the Dark Ages, okay? So we deal with all this in this 12-week online history course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. We'll look at different African symbols, like the uh, Tekken. Uh, there were uh, over 1,200 Tekken new all throughout ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. Today, they're less than 12. And when we look at the Washington Monument, that is an ancient African symbol called a Tekken, which represents the resurrection of the African king, Asar, in the uh, story of Asar, Osset, and Heru, who the Greeks called Osiris, Isis, and Horus. We know there were approximately 1,200 Tekken new built in ancient times in ancient Kemet, but only about a dozen are found today. Many of the Tekken new removed from Egypt are now in Istanbul, Turkey, London, England, Paris, France, Berlin, Germany, New York, New York, Rome, Italy, Vatican City, and elsewhere throughout the world. The Tekken new are now called obelisks by their new owners, and few know their origin or that they symbolize the resurrection of the African king Asar. So one of the books that we use in, in the class is Egypt on the Potomac by Tony Browder. This comes from page 17. You don't have to buy any of these books, but we use them as reference to, uh, we use them as reference and I show you um, the uh, text on the screen. Okay, so if you want to buy the books for your library, you can, but you don't have to feel obligated to do that. Um, and then coming from Asar, Aset and Heru, you get the Black Madonna and Child, which is worshipped all throughout uh, Europe, especially in France. There are over 300 uh, images and statues of the Black Madonna and Child. Then you get the decolorized version with the white uh, Mary and Jesus. Okay, so we go throughout history to understand what happened to us. Uh, we look at the presence of African people in the Americas prior to Christopher Columbus as well. And then uh, we go through and look at this history chronologically to see what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. And we analyze that as well. We look at uh, different African civilizations, whether it's ancient Nubia, uh, whether, whether it's ancient Kemet, uh, Carthage, uh, Axum, uh, Namidia, okay, to get a better understanding of this history. And one of the reasons why African history and culture is so important is because it's our history and culture that gives us our foundation. It gives us our values, our interests, and our principles. This gives us a cultural paradigm that we see reality through. And it's, it's our African uh, principles, our values, our interests, and our principles. 
and that cultural paradigm that influence our economic empowerment and our political empowerment. So we have to have a synthesis of all three of these as opposed to just one of them. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Your understanding of politics is directly related to your understanding of history because politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. And we know it's laws and policies that also shape historical events. Laws, policies, and conditions shape historical events. Okay. So the more that you understand about history, the more you understand about politics. Uh, and we, so we have to understand history, law, economics, and politics. Uh, so we deal with the history of, of the Moors in Europe as well. One of the books that we use in the class is, is uh, Golden Age of the Moor, edited by Dr. Ivan Van Sertima. Uh, we look at uh, General Tariq Ibn Ziyad, who in 711 AD led his army into the Iberian Peninsula, today known as Spain and Portugal. And they're going to uh, conquer the Vandals and the Visigoths and settle uh, there in uh, southern Spain also. Okay. All right. And we definitely have to deal with Christopher Columbus, who helped to lay the foundation um, for slavery, racism, and capitalism, the exploitation of indigenous people. He helped really to lay that and, ex and expand uh, the transatlantic slave trade because Columbus and his four voyages are going to lead to the Asiento de Negros being signed by King Charles V in August of 1518. Okay. We talk about people like uh, the right Reverend Bishop Bartolomeu de las Casas. And we know the Asiento de Negros great drastically expands the transatlantic slave trade. And it gives a license to uh, European slave traders and slave trading companies to provide Spanish colonies with African slaves. We look at where Columbus went on his four voyages because he never came to the land that we call the United States of America. The closest he came here is Cuba, which is 90 miles away. OK, so people need to stop saying that Columbus discovered America. Yes, there were African people and Native Americans already here, but he never even came to the land that we call the United States of America. So this is just a sample of the type of information that we deal with in this 12 week online course that I teach. Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school is on sale right now. At our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. It's on sale $80, regularly $130. We do the sessions live Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Next class is Saturday, March 18th. Um, you don't have to be live in class. You can watch, watch it archived. Even a year from now, two years from now, you'll still have access to the full class. You can still go back and watch it, okay? Now, we have a bundle pack of courses, so you get both classes that I teach for $120. Um, and then the class that I teach on Sundays is Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968, okay? Next class is Sunday, March 19th, 2023. We teach this 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, same format as the first class, same uh, price and structure as well, all right? and uh, registering for these online courses. This helps support the African History Network. This helps to financially support the African History Network so we can keep doing the research, stay on the air broadcasting the African History Network show, pay some of the bills, et cetera, upgrade equipment, all of that, okay? Uh, we look at history from uh, 1800 to 1968. 
black resistance movements, black resistance movement movements from the Haitian Revolution, the Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement. Um, so we look at the Haitian Revolution, uh, the U.S. Civil War, uh, the uh, Louisiana Purchase of 1803, because the Haitian Revolution and the Louisiana Purchase are related. Uh, we look at what leads to the Civil War taking place, the Reconstruction Era, 1865-1877, Jim Crow Era, Civil Rights Movement, um, Great Migration, 1915-1970, uh, World War One, World War Two, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement. Okay, we go through and look at this 168-year period of history to understand what happened to us um, after slavery ended. What were the laws and policies put in place? to put us in the predicament that we're in today and also understand how history is repeating itself with voter suppression laws uh, that, 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 that are targeting us, uh, increases in domestic terrorism, increases uh, in um, hate crimes against us as well, okay? Right now, let's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Also on Saturday, uh, March 18th, I'm doing a free lecture, free online lecture uh, because March is Women's History Month, also Black Women's History Month. I'm doing a free online lecture Saturday, March 18th, 12 noon to 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. So we'll look at numerous profiles of African women all throughout our history, from antiquity to the Civil Rights Movement to uh, African uh, goddesses. Uh, everybody from uh, Queen Nzinga to Ma'at, Yaa Queen T, Queen Charlotte Sophia, Angela Davis, Valerie Thomas, uh, Madam C.J. Walker, her mentor, Andy Turnbull Malone, Asada Shakur, Dr. Patricia Bath, and many others. This is a free online lecture that I'm doing Saturday, March 18th, 12 noon to East, uh, 12 noon to 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Ready, click right here to register here for this online lecture. Um, and even after, you, even if you miss it, if you can't join us live, you'll still be able to watch it uh, on demand. Just, it'll be archived. We're going to record it and it will be archived. OK, so visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com for great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. We deal with some well-known and not so well-known African women in our history from all different time periods. If you'd like this type of information, also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We have the information on the homepage of our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. And um, if you've taken any of my online courses in the past, okay, if you pay for any of my online courses in the past, uh, you get a 50% discount on uh, our course bundle pack. So you get the course bundle pack on sale, 50% uh, off, so it'll be $60. That's a $300 value on the course bundle pack. There'll also be five of my lectures in the video library uh, that'll be uploaded also. So you get that bonus. So that's a, a $300 value. Uh, email me at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. If you've... Um, taking any of our online courses in the past, you are a returning student. And we're going to give you 50% discount 
on the bundle pack of our classes. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network right now is correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. Uh, watch me on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, on the Black Star Media Network or follow Roland on Facebook and YouTube at Roland, uh, Roland, Martin, Roland Martin. And then also watch me normally on Mondays, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture, okay? And uh, I was on on uh, Thursday, March 16th, because uh, I wasn't on this past uh, Monday. And that's on Roland's network, also the Black Star Media Network. And be sure to listen to my radio show, the African History Network show, uh, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF here in Detroit. Uh, and also we when we're on live, we broadcast on Facebook and YouTube, the radio show. Uh, the African History Network on Facebook, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube. We have our social media platforms here. And uh, also you can listen to audio podcasts of the African History Network show. Just click right here to listen to podcasts or wherever you get your audio podcasts from. Search for the African History Network show. We're on iHeartRadio, iTunes, um, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, FM Player, a number of different places. Remember, right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Hope to see you in class.